You're listening to the Pandemic Podcast, where we equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of today's crises. My name is Matt Botker, and I'm joined with my good friends, Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist at the Harvard School of Public Health, and once again, Dr. Mark Kissler, who is a doctor at the University of Colorado Hospital. Hey guys, how are you doing, and how was the weekend? Hey, good morning, Matt. It's good, good, to, good to talk to you again. Good, good to see you. How are you doing, Stephen? Hey, doing well. It's good to see you guys. Yeah, likewise. And so, Stephen, you were, I think, working nonstop, it sounds like, this weekend on more paper stuff. Yep. All right. That sounds like a blast. So, Yeah, nothing new for me. <laughs> yeah, nothing new. And uh, Mark, anything exciting this weekend that happened? Um, we, um, you know, we've been hanging at home a little bit. I've been keeping in touch with what's going on at work and kind of getting anxious to get back in there and, and get working. Um, but we had a, had a decent weekend, um, though in some level, and we'll talk about it a little bit, some of the social distancing and, and everything has been hitting close to home this weekend. Mm, so, I'm good to, but, okay. uh, but yeah, but we're doing well. Good, good. Well, a few things before we get started. Just again, the normal stuff. If you can leave a review on iTunes, it would be so greatly appreciative. Uh, just uh, whatever rating you think it deserves. And if you have an extra one minute to leave a comment, we would, we would, we would really appreciate that. As well as we're still trying to find some funding to help us uh, get more uh, resources for better audio and help editing so we can uh, focus more on content. You can do that at www.patreon.com slash pandemic podcast. Patreon.com slash pandemic podcast. So, all right, let's get straight into the news. We last time we recorded was Thursday, and this is crazy, guys. I was looking back. So last Monday, there was we were we were talking in the middle of our our episode about how uh, we were like, oh, I think by the time we're done with this episode, we'll be crossing the threshold of a hundred thousand confirmations, right? And now we're at next Monday. I'm not sure where it's at, but it's well over three hundred thousand. So we've tripled in uh, in in one week, oh, which is just yeah. which is crazy, and. The good news, I think, in the light of this is that we just saw, I saw last night and I confirmed with Mark, and I want to focus on this for this episode, is that it, there is some mathematical mo models that, that speculate that Colorado may have already leveled the curve as of yesterday. So I want to throw it right away into Stephen and Mark. And Stephen, if you want to riff off first, then Mark uh, contribute uh, about, is this true? Where does this model come from? And what might this mean for us? Stephen, you want to start riffing a little bit? Yeah, so the the model you're referring to, and maybe maybe we can post a link or something into the, yeah, the uh, notes. podcast notes, is uh, you know one that a lot of people are are looking to 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 try to project you know what the uh, what the burden of infection is going to be from this outbreak. It's uh, powered in collaboration by researchers at the University of Washington, and as, as far as I can tell, I mean I haven't gotten to look under the hood, but it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of accounting for their assumptions and you know really dealing with the complexity of this outbreak. So. I think the fact that they've, you know, that 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 some of their models are suggesting that uh, that in Colorado we may have already sort of reached or be very close to reaching the peak of of hospital demand is is encouraging for sure, and is is uh, is a reason for maybe some cautious optimism. Uh, you know, these these models can can vary quite a bit based on some you know some assumptions, just like sort of based on the number of people who we think are already infected and reporting rates and these sorts of things. So there's there's really quite a bit of uncertainty, especially with these sort of point estimates that we're trying to make. By point estimates, I mean like when is the peak or like how many people are going to be infected. Anytime you're trying to estimate like a specific number. 
there can be quite a bit of variation around that. And, and so I can't really speak to, you know, what's, what's going on with their models, but I think the fact that they're, that, that, that anyone's model is, is suggesting this <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is potentially a good sign. Um, so we'll just have to sort of pay attention over the next few days and see what happens. But, but I'm, I am, I'm, I'm cautiously encouraged by it. You know, I think a couple things. So just to go back to our, you know, how quickly things have progressed since last Monday, um, like we were talking about, you know, it just goes to emphasize yet again how, and I was, I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine over the weekend who's a physics professor actually at CU Boulder about how tough it is for us intellectually to understand exponential growth. Um, we get linear growth really well and we get, you know, changes, slow changes over time. But when that's exponential and we're seeing, you know, things like viral spread, it's just hard to wrap your head around how quickly that can move. And so, um, you know, that's something I think we've been, one of our big themes has been talking about that and understanding the ways that we have to sort of trust trust the numbers, even though the gut feeling may be a little dissonant with that. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just a good example, the, the number, sheer number of cases in the country over one week and the way that that's changed um, is, uh, I think, a really helpful reminder. That being said, um, I definitely agree with Stephen. It looks like there may be some cause for some cautious optimism um, in certain areas of the country right now, uh, Colorado being one of them. So I've been following this model a little bit, um, and our hospital system has been following it really closely as well because um, it's just it's helpful in terms of projecting what we're going to need in terms of resources and personnel and things like that. And as of Friday, it was still predicting a peak about two weeks from now on the 16th or 17th of the month um, and still predicting that we would have potentially some shortages and, um, and deaths in the thousands uh, in the state of Colorado. And it looks like as of today um, or whenever they updated their model, um, that's definitely shifted and the peak potentially could have been even yesterday. Um, And so we could be on the descending part of the curve, which is fantastic news if that is the case uh, in terms of our abilities to cope with the the pandemic you know here um, and also I think just projecting forward what that what that may look like and so you know I think one of the th- big things to emphasize is that what that is is a, a glimmer of hope that the hard work that we've been doing um, both individually on the level of the state government on the level of the hospitals that that may be having an effect and Stephen has cautioned cautioned us a couple times that um, we may not see the effects of social distancing until they've been in place for quite some time. And so here we are, you know, we've kind of implemented a little bit more strict social distancing for the last two weeks or so in Colorado. And maybe we're starting to see that that's having some effect. Um, And so I think that it's a sign that potentially what we're doing is working and that we need to continue it um, at least until we get out of this, um, you know, and and get a lot, a lot more sense that we're moving in the right direction um, before we slowly start to lift these restrictions. I think, of course, you know, as, as everybody I'm sure understands, the worst thing to do would be to take news like this and then reverse everything that we've done that's gotten us to this point. Um, you mean like have a huge, said. huge statewide Colorado <laughs> party? Let's just open up the Colorado State Fair right now. That's right. We're just going to pass Let's pass celebrate. Around. It's huge. Yeah, and like the same. Yes. Yeah. It's like, but I think, but there is room, I think, for, for a real um, sense of, of, potential relief. The other thing that I'm mindful of is that this is very geographically limited, right? And I'd like to hear Stephen talk about this a little bit, but it does feel on some level like, you know, we, if this is the case, um, that potentially the outbreak is under a little better control in our tiny little, you know, 
studio apartment in the giant global apartment building of which we're all still a part, you know? And so whether that means that at some point later in the summer, we may be able to help neighboring states with resource and um, things like that and offer more beds or ventilators for places that are harder hit. Um, I think that would be potentially helpful. Um, and then other things to remember is just that we've seen in in places, even in East Asia, where they've had the epidemic under control for quite some time, that they're still seeing new cases and new little outbreaks uh, as travel continues and things like that. So, you know, all that, all that being said, I sound like uh, if you guys, I've been <clears throat> rereading the Chronicles of Narnia to the kids uh, and in the silver chair, there's this delightful character named Puddle Glum, um, who's, who's like a perpetual kind of like uh, pessimistic optimist. <laughs> he's, he's like, you know, it's like, it, it could always, you know, no matter what happens, the, the big, you know, and uh, he, he's always got to look on the sort of the darker side of things. Um, but I think that's important. We've all got to have a little bit of Puddle Glum where we're, you know, keeping our heads down, uh, keeping doing doing what we're doing and and just also carrying that hopeful optimism that maybe what we've been doing has helped. Stephen, do you have anything else to say about what Mark was talking about? You're, you're spot on with that. Um, we do know, I mean, from past experience with outbreaks, like you said, too, in addition to what's been going on in some other countries, that, that sort of letting off the brakes a little bit can cause the infections to rise again. So, you know, I think, I think the, 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 great, the great British phrase of keep calm and carry on sort of applies to us here, too. You know, <laughs> just, just keep on going. It seems like things might be working. And, and I think that that's all the more reason to, to keep it up. So one thing I want to chat about, I know there's a couple of the questions I want to, like what this means for us. And I want to chat about that a little bit, but I was talking before we recorded about uh, a Facebook post I saw from someone I know that just, uh, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it was this kind of, so we know a couple of states have still not maybe made those extreme measures of kind of that, uh, you know, shelter in place. Uh, I think Nebraska is one of them, at least as of last night, hasn't. And I don't know, a couple other ones. And so there's a lot of uh, citizens who are kind of asking for that to be take place. And I know that they're, the confirmations are relatively low. There's maybe 350, 400, something like that in Nebraska, at least. That's where, where I'm from. So I'm kind of following that a little bit. And and I saw this post that was just kind of mocking in some sense of you know these people who want this to happen, who want uh, more extreme measures, and just kind of criticizing them. And really, it's just called gaslighting. Gaslighting is when basically you... Uh, um, you kind of psychologically manipulate someone uh, to make them, uh, you know, feel as if uh, they're not sane. Yeah, there's like a sense of insanity about their their conclusions, which is first and foremost we don't really need right now. Because the thing is, it's complicated. Uh, and this is where I'm trying to straddle this both ends. Like you were saying, this kind of like muddle glum, like it's it, kind of the best place to be because either side, the numbers don't necessarily, we don't have the solid enough numbers to be on either side incredibly. You know, that say, you know, a few people wrote on Facebook of how this is just nonsense. And there's no way I would do that because you're already seeing New York and how it unfolded. And we don't know where we're at exactly, but we are having some optimism right now with with potentially with, with Colorado. So basically what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, especially with Steven, I want to pick and mark your brain on this, is that when, when Colorado initiated the kind of that, that shelter-in-place kind of mandate, we were only at around, make a few hundred, maybe four or 500 confirmations at the time. Now, we've grown since then to, I don't know where we're at right now, over 4,000, maybe you're just under, I'm not sure. Uh, and we're seeing now uh, you know, some, some, some light. And clearly, this is just a much a more complicated reality. And I want to throw it back to you guys in light, in light of... I understand that people like Nebraska and they're they're not dumb, right? I understand that. But we know the case with Italy that that they did their best and they realized they made some mistakes and they wish they would have started earlier. 
So going back to you guys, in light, so Colorado's done their part. We need to continue doing our part. Other states that show less, like Nebraska, do you have any idea to speak back to? I mean, where do you think it would be effective for them to actually do something more severe? Or at those cases, do you like, oh, it's okay? Do you have any insight to maybe what we should be doing on an individual level? Because I know, Stephen, you were, I mean, Mark, you were saying beforehand that this, there is a vagueness of a national like togetherness, right? We're all kind of doing our own thing from state to state. What should those states be doing that don't have very few numbers right now uh, in light of where we're at at this moment? Stephen, do you have anything to say? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it, this is one of the difficulties that we often um, confront in public health in, in all sorts of different areas, um, which is essentially that um, the you know, people or groups who do less benefit from the people in groups who do more and vice versa. The people in groups who do more often, um, their, the effects and the benefits of what they do is, is often lessened when, you know, through infection and transmission from places where, where sort of there's less going on. And so the, the question is like, what's, what's the right you know, what's the right amount for the right people at the right time, you know? And so I think part of the difficulty of this is that this, this sort of takes a step away from, from strictly public health questions. And they, they almost approach questions of like justice and like, what is, what is the right thing for the right people to do at the right time such that, you know, there, there, these concerns about people losing their jobs, you know, that that's, that's very important to, to think about here too. And, and the probability of transmission varies from place to place and the timing of outbreaks varies from place to place. And we don't really have a good sense of what's going on in any given place at a given time. So basically what you just said and what I'm trying to say here is just that I, I agree that it's very complicated. And I think that the, the the scenario will continue to be complicated over time because we will continue to see these these localized outbreaks from place to place. And those will seed outbreaks in places that thought that they were maybe done with this, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that just, we need to be prepared for that possibility. And, and, and again, just sort of reorient our thoughts into, you know, how do we, how do we best support the people in the places where there are large outbreaks going on right now? Um, and how do we prepare ourselves for the eventuality that we will see recurrences of these outbreaks in our own communities and, and to do the best to just sort of focus on service and preparation, you know, rather than finger pointing for, for any, for, you know, for either direction. Yeah. You know, I think as, as we've touched on before a little bit, there's a sense that these sorts of interventions work the best when we have a unified response um, and whether that's you know, it needs to be unified over large geographic areas, uh, large populations in order to have the effects that we want. It's not surprising that certain places um, just innately have different transmission characteristics. Um, not surprising at all that the same virus may spread differently in Nebraska than it does in New York City. Um, I think we have ample evidence over different cities throughout the world, over different periods of time from introduction of the virus that these social distancing measures work, uh, that they're essential to keeping us from um, breaking through that threshold uh, where we're utilizing healthcare resources uh, or overutilizing them in a dangerous way. And I think that, you know, it's important for us to continue to think in that unified and and semi-global sense that the actions that we have, the little actions that we do, you know, here in our home do have ramifications um, in other places that are far from us. Um, and so I think it's just really important to remember how connected we are. This that's If there's one take home from this that's given me a lot of food for thought is just how deeply connected we are and how quickly we are connected to people across the world. And you know, hopefully we can find ways to make that 
connectivity a positive thing, but we also just have to remember that even in places that are not as hard hit, the actions that we have do have consequences both for our local communities and for other communities. Um, and so, yeah, I would say, you know, these, these specific questions, it would be really helpful to have sort of a, a really unified yeah national response um, in certain ways and like very, very strong specific guidance, because I think that that may um, eliminate some of the questions that we have because they're legitimate questions. They're legitimate harms that come from these interventions as we've talked about. But at the same time, what we're trying to do is minimize harm up front so that we can maximize our recovery potential soon. It kind of reminds me of that. I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago of that uh, meme that and and not that I'm trying to rant about this, and I love Nebraska, and I know they're trying to make the best decisions possible. The reason why I'm from there, and also they're they're kind of like our neighbors, right? They're my next door neighbor, right? They're right next to Colorado, and so that meme about how like I feel like a kid in grade school, right? That's uh, the, uh, the the kids in in, in recess keep uh, you know acting up in such a way that prevents me from having you know le- less time in, on on the on, on the recess. You know this idea of like other people's behavior gives me less recess time and uh, the fear of just like okay you know we're, Colorado's done a great job and we made some big sacrifices and just hoping that everybody can come together and do the same thing even if maybe at the moment they don't feel like uh, that's necessarily warranted at least for the sake of the glo- the the national uh, result that. Uh, um, we're neighbors in this and we're together. And, uh, you know, Colorado has done, I think, an incredible job. I'm so thankful for Governor Polis and what he's done to help us hopefully um, flatten the curve early uh, and just hoping that other states would do the same thing because we're in this together and we are connected in a real way, like geographically, we're connected, uh, as well as uh, just in other, in other many ways as well. So, yeah. And, and just to emphasize yet again is if we do this well, we're going to feel like we overreacted yeah. um, that that is the indicator that we have done this appropriately is to say, wow, maybe we shouldn't have been so strict because we don't want to be shooting to the level where we are regretting that, you know, this is, this is the way that those exponential curves work um, is that it's not as if we get a little bit of an indication, you know, that it could have been just a little bit worse. It's every, you know, every degree is exponentially yeah. more cases, more deaths. And so we've got to be at the point where there are going to be people saying we did too much. Yeah. And that means that we maybe hopefully did <laughs> yeah. our approach to doing mm-hmm. enough, you know, and yeah. I think we're already at a point it's very clear, you know, we're talking from this place of, you know, some guarded optimism and, and a feeling of hope here in, in Colorado. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that, you know, Stevens in Boston and they're not feeling this relief. New yeah. York city's not feeling this relief. Sure, right. Chicago's not feeling this relief. Even Italy in some ways is still not feeling, you know? And, and so again, you know, we, we have to be in that place where we feel like we've been a little bit too aggressive um, for the sake of all of our neighbors. Yeah. Also in light of that, that same comment that I'm talking about mentioned about, Hey, we're not even scheduled to peak until May. So why are we doing anything now? I'm like, Whoa, that's to me, that's like, that's a weird, that's a weird concept in my mind. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, we're scheduled to peak in May. So let's just chill. Uh, until until we get to that peak, and then we'll then we'll respond. And yeah. and just seeing Governor Pulse's you know early uh, hopefully uh, early measures that helped us not to peak when we're supposed to peak. Hopefully, right? Cautious optimism. Yeah, yeah and and recognizing that even in Colorado, our our projected peak moved two weeks over yeah. the course of a three day span. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. And so new data and and distancing measures can make huge impacts on those date projections. Those are all mathematical models that have all sorts of variables and caveats attached to them. Um, And so you can't 
look at a model, a snapshot one point in time and yeah. say, oh, that's what's going to happen no matter what. Sure. Right. And you mentioned the vagueness of like not a, a, a national kind of coalition response. So I want to kind of bring into the next next question. It's kind of led really well into this, right? So we have that antiviral, the anti-malaria medicine, and it's kind of being propagated by, you know, I saw it on Fox, this news. So like, this could be the uh, beginning of the end of the pandemic. Pandemic. So I want to talk to you guys. Is that is that real news? Is that is that, is that, that hopeful? What's going on with that? Mark? Yeah, you know, so we talked a lot about um, hydroxychloroquine, I think, last week, um, and that there is some in vitro data. There's a relatively kind of non, not super rigorous and not large study that some of these claims have been based on, that we are using it actively in the hospital and particularly in critically ill patients. Um, but I think what what happens is when we go from a therapeutic potential to claims that this may turn things around or be a game changer in in a massive way, um, we have to be really cautious with claims like that. And, you know, as we've talked about, the things that are going to change this virus's uh, impact is going to be decreasing its transmission. I really, really don't think from a therapeutic standpoint, I think, you know, vaccine potentially in a year or more, that also acts on transmission rates. But individual treatments in you know, even in, you know, we, we have to be careful about the parallels we draw with influenza, but let's take influenza. We have an, an antiviral medication, you know, oseltamivir that we use very frequently for influenza. And yet people still die of influenza, um, not infrequently in the hospital. And so even if there's a treatment, even if there's a demonstrated effective treatment, that's not going to be the end of all of these cases or the end of all of the clinically significant cases. Yeah. Um, and so I just think we just have to be very conscious of our messaging and our, our willingness to kind of extrapolate out some promising preliminary data into these broader statements about what's going to happen or what could happen. That to me is not sort of tempered optimism so much as it is you know, potentially not not as grounded uh, of, a, of a claim. Going back to the original thing of Colorado leveling the curve and in light of this kind of, this hopefully an example to the rest of the country that there, this, there's a hope and that uh, the work that we're doing, and it's an enormous sacrifice. And I'm so thankful for the government of what it's offering, the resources available to help small businesses and large businesses alike to get through this time, these four, 12 weeks, whatever it may be that's needed. Now, I want to set this again. I think people want to hear this. If, so right, let's just take this at a face value. What if Colorado really did flatten the curve? And there may be some other states following suit soon. Those who made aggressive measures like California, maybe, right? Who knows? In, in, in the coming weeks, what could, what does this mean? I want to throw this to you, Stephen. Uh, what does this mean? Like, so we were scheduled for two weeks from now. Now we're potentially two weeks early. If that is true, what could it look like for next steps for Colorado? Yeah, so I think that, you know, the first thing that that we can probably start thinking about is, you know, after a couple of weeks, once we really truly verify that cases are starting to come down, then we can start thinking about sort of what are the sort of next level of things that we had previously shut down that we might be able to start opening up again. So mm -hmm. I know just yesterday in Boston, the we decided to basically close all public parks and and there's a, uh, a voluntary curfew between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m., right? Mm -hmm. So those are some fairly strict measures, yeah. right? And so 
ideally over time, uh, and I haven't been keeping track of exactly what, you know, what all of the restrictions are in Colorado, but I sort of envision this sort of re- releasing of these measures sort of in, in the, in the opposite direction that they came in. So the strictest measures can probably be starting to loosen first and then just sort of paying attention over time. So I think the most important thing will be sort of shifting our behavior in a very sort of like slow and measured way. Um, you mentioned the statewide party, which would be an awful idea right? <laughs> to just like <laughs> totally. all of a sudden undo everything at once. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think just sort of like slowly letting off sort of the phrase that we've been using um, in epidemiology is sort of letting off the brakes a little bit and just sort of seeing what happens and then sort of reevaluating. But we'll have to do that in a very sort of slow and measured way. So I think that we'll, we'll still have these distancing measures in place for some time because we sure. really need to be confident about what's happening. But, but I imagine that's sort of the direction that it might start to head in the coming weeks. Mark, anything? No, I think that pretty much, yeah, pr- pretty much sums it up. There's been some conversation about what does it look like to reopen um, and how do we stage it and, and what are the objective measures? Like, do we see declining case rates for 14 days? And then that maybe that triggers the next stage of intervention, things like that. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm very interested to see, but this, of course, we have, we're, this is where we may start to talk about what is our beginning. You know, we're not beginning today. Um, we're looking ahead for a couple of weeks about when do we begin to loosen these restrictions. And I kind of consider this like a snowball effect, you know, where I'm hoping again that Colorado is this kind of beacon of hope for the rest of the country. And we'll see in the next couple of weeks whether that's true. But this idea of just the, sm- the snowball effect, right? If by what Mark has already been saying, what Stephen's been saying, that if we can do the social distancing as aggressive as possible, right? Um, you know, uh, you know, prudently, uh, it's it's like it's like taking care of the snowball before it gets out of control. And that the hope is maybe that we we started a little bit early, so that we can then hopefully open up businesses um, earlier than what other people may may have to deal with who didn't start early. And that's kind of the theories and models that are out there. That yeah, there's a huge sacrifice up front, and this is I think this is part of the the American culture. It's hard, right? Sacrificing at the at the forefront. Versus at the end, it's like we always want to like let go of the sacrifice and do it. We'll do that tomorrow. Like tomorrow, me, Mark, and Stephen is much more sacrificial than today, me. Like you know, I'm I'm so good. I'm I'm going to start my diet tomorrow, guys. I'm going to stop. I'm going to start. I'm going to start eating salads. All that tomorrow and tomorrow goes for years. And on a corporate level, it's the same thing where, man, I'm just so thankful and hopeful that these things are going to have great results. And those that those who wait may, may, right, may have to deal with a longer issue uh, and, and, and bigger sacrifices in the long run. So that's my hope. That's my hope for this as well. You know, Mark, you mentioned, you know, we're all doing social distancing right now. You mentioned there's, there's, there's some unique caveats here, social distancing at, at home. What's going on over there? Not so much unique in the sense of like, but I do feel like on some level, it's it's, it's sort of like it hits home in different ways mm. at different times, you know? And so like early on, there's just such this energy around it and everybody's trying to figure out what yeah. to do. And we're, you know, very mission focused and, you know, how do we make this work and how do we problem solve and stuff like that. And I feel like there's been ups and downs, you know? And so there's yeah. been some times where there's been a little bit of a lull and we feel, you know, whether the cabin fever sits in or there's feelings of real longing for community and um, just wanting to have that, that touch um, mm. with other people and, yeah. and that, proximity and that closeness. You know, one of the places that it really hit home for me this weekend in two ways, thinking about my uh, grandmother down in Pueblo and, you know, would really longing to be with her. Uh, today's her birthday and, you know, really wanting to just be close and close for Easter. That had been our plan to be down there and, and recognizing that there's something, you know, about this time that even if we're doing the right thing, there is a, a measure of loss. You know, I feel that 
loss. And similarly, just the feeling of, you know, the, the month or more of my children's lives that our grandparents are witnessing, you know, via zoom and FaceTime and, and from afar, that's a real loss, you know, and there's, there's so much change that happens at these, at these ages and, and so much remarkable, you know, development and, and, and just time, you know, there's so much about our lives. That's just about time and proximity and being with people. Um, and so I've been feeling that a little bit and, you know, not to be too, too down about it. You know, I think I, I woke up this morning with this feeling of, of hope and optimism and, and we've done something hopefully to start to move. And I've seen these, you know, remarkable ways of connecting and things like that. Um, but I think it's okay to hold those things together and like, and hold yeah. that loss and hold that sacrifice together with that hope and optimism um, yeah. as tough as it is, as it is. And so that's, that's what I was referring to in terms of just, um, you know, feeling that over this weekend, even though intellectually I knew it was there all along, um, I was really experiencing it this weekend. That reminds me of a great philosopher who told me, taught me oh, through a book, the difference between sadness and despair and it was interesting because sadness is this idea that it's, uh, he believed that sadness is kind of like almost like a virtue and that it's this idea that the uh, uh, sadness requires hope. Sadness in his, in his mind, that it means that the future will be fundamentally different than the present. And that's sadness. Whereas despair is the conflation of the future and the present, right? That the, that the future will be no different than the present. And so sadness is an okay thing to have, right? It's, 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 it's okay to feel that sad because there's a hope that things will be different in the scene. Again, I'm not mean to harp on this Colorado thing because I want to have hope. And uh, whether it's true or not, we'll find out in a couple of weeks. I want to be reasonable about this, but it's good to have hope. And it's good to have, to have that. I know um, for me, uh, just talking about, we finally got the iPad. We, we got an iPad for my mother-in-law to deliver it to her. And man, we took every precaution possible, guys. Like we were like, we literally got tape out for six feet on the grass. So we stayed six feet away from my mother-in-law because we have no idea, you know, all this like asymptomatic stuff going on. If some people don't show any signs, I'm like, we're just going to be extra safe. And we're like, we, we would, you know, we'd drop something on the ground on the, on the one tape line and then go the other, she can grab it. We sterilized the iPad, I think 45 times in that five minute period before we hand it to her. But it was great to be able to give that to her. And I remember just pulling up to her house thinking, oh my gosh, I miss her house. I miss going to Nancy. Anna's house. The boys were ecstatic, but they were sad they couldn't go in. But there's hope that we'll, you know, be able to uh, get back in there soon as well. Which, which leads me to this this end. I wanted to talk about. I read. I saw this. It started with a quote, I think, on Instagram, and I forgot what it was. It was some kind of trite uh, quote about, you know, one minute of laughter, you know, does something uh, to your to your immune system for hours, and you know, one minute of anger does something else. So I wanted to verify if that was true. Found a couple articles that just kind of inspired me a little bit in light of this sense of hope that I feel like today kind of has this kind of upbeat, and we'll see in the coming weeks how it turns. This idea that we really need to have hope and we really need to have laughter in our life that it's really important, and uh, we can't just get sucked into the negative of the news or just life or the busyness of life, which I've talked about in livingthereal.com. It's so, it's so toxic. And I, there was a, this article from the Huffington Post years ago that talked about this idea that, that one five-minute episode of, of negative emotions can lower our immune system up to six hours, right? That frustration, the sadness, the anger, the, the despair, right, in our own life can really, and we really want to stay healthy right now. We want to keep our immune systems up and going and strong. We want to, we want to have hope. 
And on the other side of that, that laughter, right? Laughter is, is, is a positive emotion that boosts our immune system uh, significantly. I read a bunch of things on this, and I can share this in the show notes as well. The idea of like, the, idea, the sense of like watching comedy, watching an upbeat movie increases our blood flow to the body, and watching suspense and negative and crime and violence decreases our blood flow. And, and, and I know this is, this is me now. This is not Mark and Steven, so they would never vouch for this because they're scientists. I'm just this kind of like phenomenologist. So like, hey, it's a cool experience. I'm going to make a random connection. So this is not vouched for Mark and Steven. But for me, uh, this idea that kids laugh hundreds of times a day, like every few minutes, I'm, I'm hearing my kids upstairs scream with laughter as I'm recording this, right? They're having a great time and also screaming in pain. But we'll, we'll talk about that as well. But uh, somebody probably hit somebody else. But there's a lot of laughter that goes on, right? And we see this idea that the, that that oftentimes, at least the coronavirus doesn't affect them as much. Now, I know it's way more complicated than that, but I at least want to use this as a launching pad of like, there is something good about laughter. And it's good and it's great to have kids in your life because it's contagious, their laughter. I can't help but to laugh when my kids laugh. But adults, on average, outside the context of kids, laugh maybe 20 times max. Over the hundreds of times a day, the, the, the kids, the boys and the girls laugh so many times and, and encourage you guys to have this childlike spirit in this context. Find things to laugh about, to enjoy. We did gardening on Saturday, just yesterday, and it was really fun. And the boys were just crazy. They're like, they were like, we never have to buy food again. We're growing our food. I'm like, well, we, we're, we have a very small, we, we're no, we don't have Mark's garden. So uh, we don't, we, 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 we're very selective on what, what, what few veggies this puppy is going to provide, even if it does provide, because we realized they're gonna, like our old dog used to do. We'll probably dig the seeds up by tomorrow. So I, there, there's this one thing I saw. It's called Watch SGN. Uh, <laughs> SGN. It's called So Good News. Uh, just my one piece of advice to you. Look it up on YouTube. John Krasinski, he's from The Office. I think he, he dated Pam. Do you remember that, right? Uh, so he created this So Good News network from his home. It's hilarious. It's fun. It's uplifting. It makes me laugh. I hope it makes you laugh. And uh, in light of this good day, uh, beautiful day here in Colorado. I encourage you to increase your laughter, to have a hopeful spirit, uh, to, to stay away from the, the dark movies right now and find those uplifting, inspiring movies that keep us motivated towards doing what we're doing well. That is, we're, 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 we're creating distance, social distance, so that we can come together uh, sooner rather than later. All right, guys, we're going to land the plane right here. Again, if you have any questions for Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-I-S-S-L-E-R on Twitter. Any questions about the episode, comments about the episode of the podcast in general, uh, you can do that at M-A-T-T-B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R. Again, if you can offer a small donation per month to help us, we would so greatly appreciate that. That's patreon.com slash pandemic. And again, leave a rating if you can. And I hope you have a wonderful day. See you guys on Thursday. Take care. Bye-bye.